Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Canadian Gothic, a series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. This episode is going to take us to Hogsback Lake, a sort of natural recreation area southeast of Vanderhoof, British Columbia. Although the area is known by locals as an ideal spot for camping and fishing, it's also become known far and wide as the setting for one of Canada's most often discussed missing persons cases. On May 28th of 2011, then 20-year-old Maddie Scott attended an annual party at Hogsback Lake. Maddie and her friend Jordy originally intended to camp out and spend the night there together, but some unexpected party attendees and a bit too much alcohol would leave Maddie being left behind to camp alone. The next morning, the only thing found at the lake was Maddie's truck and an empty tent. Over the past 12 years, the search for Maddie would receive international attention and a ravenous online following despite very little in the way of clues or developments. But that all changed just last week, and dramatically so. In this episode, we're going to get into all of it. Tonight, I'm going to be joined by Madeleine Klein to discuss the disappearance and the death of Maddie Scott. Scott disappeared on May 28, 2011 at a camping party south of Vanderhoof. Although her tent and truck were found at the campsite, her keys and her phone have never been located and she apparently vanished without a trace. Scott's grieving family has posted a reward of up to $100,000 for information about her disappearance. The opportunities that are presented as time goes on is there may be an individual with information that may feel more comfortable coming forward. They have a lifestyle change and feel it's the right time or they had some information that they didn't think was important at the time, but now are feeling more comfortable coming forward to a friend or the police or even Crime Stoppers. Ms. Madeleine Klein, it's great to see you again. How are you doing? Um, I'm okay. Last week you described me as on death's door, and now I'm just more so like on the porch. So I'm, I'm still at his house, but just farther away from the door. Okay. It's kind of hellish here as well. I'm Although I'm feeling like I'm not on death's door, I do feel like I'm living literally in hell because Nova Scotia, as you may have heard, is uh, being ravaged by wildfires right now. Our weather forecast today simply, it wasn't sunny, it wasn't cloudy, it simply said smoke. And it was accurate. It was 30 degrees outside. There were I think three separate large wildfires raging in this area of the pro this part of the province and you go outside and you feel like the heat and the humidity of what's normal but then you smell something that's like a mix of burnt leaves and burnt tires and it's so weird and didn't you say the sky is like the color of my background which is apocalyptic orange yeah there's just like kind of like an orange glow uh it's it's really weird and it's what I've learned today is if something's burning, like a tree or something or a brand, bush or something's burning that you're allergic to, the allergens kind of can carry in the smoke. So I've been uh, like, you know, having allergy attacks all day 
simply because oh. every type of plant is in the air right now, it seems, uh, mixed with plastics and other things that homes are made of. It's it's quite horrible. And I that feel, awful. yeah, and as, as uncomfortable it is, as it is for me, I'm fortunate where my home and family and property is not directly impacted, but a lot of Nova Scotians uh, lost their homes and their pets and their belongings over the last uh, few days. So it's pretty horrible. That's oh, that's so sad. Yeah, well, the forecast is calling for rain this week. We're recording this Thursday night. The forecast is calling for rain this weekend. So I'm hoping that'll at least slow things down and uh, this will all just go away as in, as uh, into the rearview mirror as this other bizarre, dark, tragic thing that happened around here. So, Well, and speaking of rain, there's like a severe thunderstorm warning where I am and it's oh. raining right now. And so if I just like, dip in the middle of this my power went out <laughs> okay yeah that's, so that's just, that's where i went <laughs> i'll just keep talking <laughs> yep <laughs> uh well let's get into it we got a lot to talk about we're here to talk about a high profile canadian missing persons case one that i that has been on my radar and i had received countless requests to cover this story i have always planned to just haven't got around to it here we are covering it because A, it's again, it's been on my radar, but B, because there's been a major update in this case that we'll get to today. We're going to be talking about the story of Madison, more commonly known as Maddie Scott, who's a 20-year-old woman who has been missing since uh, May of 2011 from an area called Hogsback Lake, which is just outside of Vanderhoof, B.C., before we get into the case, uh, tell me your history with this story. I, I know you did, I think, a TikTok or a YouTube video about it, but this is more, you know, your side of the country. So I'm sure you know Maddie Scott's case. Well, I hadn't heard of it until I started doing my TikTok journey, my crime talks. And as soon as I started doing those, Maddie Scott was one of the hot, most highest suggested names I I got. So yeah, I looked into it and for such a high profile case, and I would have been 18 at the time of her disappearance, so we weren't too far apart. I'm surprised mm -hmm. I hadn't heard of it. Only a couple years younger, only two provinces away. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she was she was a very, very suggested person. Yeah, I, I think in my case, uh, when I first started podcasting, uh, one of the first cases that I did like a, an ongoing series covering was the disappearance of Emma Filipov, who went missing from Victoria, BC. Um, so I had a lot of like a lot of people from that area knew my show as one that covered missing persons cases. So I think because of that, a lot of people were coming to me, especially in the early days when I was regularly covering Emma Filipov's disappearance, recommending I try to do the same kind of thing with Maddie Scott. And I, I just had never got there. Um, but it's we say it's high profile. It's it's one that it's a case that has been covered by Canadian media. It's been covered by international media. Podcasts have covered Maddie Scott's case. And this has been going back since, you know, her disappearance. When I was researching for this, the amount of articles I found from 2011 to present covering Maddie Scott's case is just astronomical. It would be impossible to read them all. Again, I would say quite clearly and quite easily and confidently, I can say Maddie Scott's case would be one of Canada's most well-known and most discussed missing persons cases. Think that's fair? I would say so. 
But I'm just, I'm surprised, like, there's no way you could do an ongoing series on Maddie's case like you did Emma's. Because mm. although they, they're they similar and they these women just vanished, th- with when it comes to Maddie's case, as we'll find out, there's, like, no evidence. There's no witnesses. There's a little bit of, um, like, security footage of Emma, a couple witnesses here and there. But, like, when it comes to Maddie... She just vanished. Yeah, but there are some people who were close to Maddie that never really gave a full account of their night, at least publicly, that have a lot of people, you know, wanting to hear more from them. There, There is a lot to this case. And I, it, in one way, it's basic and there's not a ton to discuss. But at the on the other hand, there, there is because it's, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Let's, we'll save that. To begin, let's talk a little bit about Maddie Scott to set the scene and maybe to contextualize some of the things that are going to happen. Um, Maddie's family seems pretty typical. She, uh, her mom, dad, two siblings. She has a uh, a younger sibling Ben and an older sister Georgia. Um, she was born in uh, on April 29th of ninety one. She was 20 years old at the time of the events we'll be talking about at the time of of her disappearance. Uh, that's the basics, but I think Maddie's personality and her lifestyle is important. Do you, anything you want to say in what you've read or watched about her? Um, just that she seemed like a lot of fun mm-hmm. and she seemed very relatable and she was kind of a, a girl of all trades. She could she could do it all. She could get dressed up and she could change the oil on her car and mm-hmm. she was into sports and just she s- seemed to be liked by everyone yeah that's the way it came across it's sort of like a when i was reading about her and listening to things people had to say about her she kind of sort of came across as like a tomboy type but at the same time she seemed to, to be again like wear a dress and fit in with that lifestyle but she worked as like you know an apprentice mechanic she was into you know fixing machines very social uh into partying uh, into sports, into the outdoors, like a lot of, you know, camping and outdoor dirt activity. biking. And dirt, yeah, like all that yeah. sort of stuff. Lots of friends, uh, active social life. And it's cliche to say, but she seemed like someone who was often the life of a party, the center of whatever's going on and lit up a room. It's a shame to say that, to have to say that, because so often I think it's said insincerely. But with Maddie Scott, that seems to be the reality. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, she seemed like she could, yeah, be friends with anyone. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit as well about Hogsback Lake. That is, I don't know if that's where the disappearance is set, but it's certainly right around there. The Maddie's last known activity was at a place called hogsback lake i've never heard of this never i've never been to bc either but i've never heard of this it's about 25 kilometers from vanderhoof have you ever been to vanderhoof or do you know anything about that city or no town? i've been to bc but not never there okay so vanderhoof is like the town or city she's from hogsback lake is about 25 kilometers from there and it's like in uh, like a nature park it's it's in i don't think it's a provincial park but it has that kind of vibe to it there's a couple camping sites there's um 
and by camping sites, I mean like larger areas where multiple people could camp at the same time. There's like a swimming area with a dock so you could bring like a canoe out onto the water. Hogsback Lake um, from one side to the other is about a kilometer, which is a good distance, but it's not deep. It's only about 22 feet deep and it's said that the water's clear. So even if you're in the center of it, you know, the clear water, 22 feet deep, you can, you know, you can see right down to the bottom and that'll right. just become a bit relevant when we get to the, to the search, uh, for, um, the search for Maddie. And as, as far as the area surrounding the lake, it's best way to, to think of it. It's just a bunch of small trails going in every which direction. So it's the kind of place you could go camp and, you know, spend a great weekend or great day you know in the outdoors something that would be like the bread and butter for you know maddie scott oh totally and like so close to her house it sounds perfect mm -hmm. we have where i'm at in halifax it's it's i can kind of relate a bit to this where if i go 25 kilometers out of the city in any direction i'm in somewhere just like hogsback lake oh. Uh, all around Halifax is it's like that it's forest and lake so as I'm reading Maddie's story of her of her disappearance I'm like oh I've had a million weekends doing something just like what she was you know last doing so let's let's get to what is said to be her her last night which is the 27th of May 2011 do you want to set the scene what is she doing what brings Maddie Scott to Hogsback Lake so she is going out for a friend's birthday party. The plan was to go out with another one of her friends, set up camp for the night. They were planning on drinking, so they didn't want to drive home. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so they they go out and then they realize they either their tent's not big enough or they forgot their poles or maybe both. Yeah, I think but, it was both. Yeah. Yeah. But so Maddie ended up having to go home at like 9.30 or 10 that night get the right equipment and then they went back set up and everything was fine people started arriving it said that there was about 50 people ish at this soiree mm -hmm. and it said that she didn't stray too far from her tent she kind of loitered in and around there and socialized mm -hmm. but it sounds like the night went fine until about midnight when mm -hmm. people that they weren't super familiar with showed up and there was a fight between the friend that she came with, Jordy, mm -hmm. and someone else that they didn't know or maybe knew and didn't like. Yeah, and in this party, it's um, it's described as a birthday party, but it's one that a, a friend of Maddie's he he would do this each year. It was like an annual thing when it was his birthday. Everyone would go to Hogsback Lake. They would camp out and you know party on you know on the lake, which makes sense in one of the, the camping areas um for whatever reason this time and it, it's a public area so multiple people can show up but it as you described it, it you're exactly right is there was kind of a core group that were there for this birthday party but other people ended up showing up and like quote unquote crashing it you know uh, uninvited they just showed up and maybe they were rowdy maybe they were there to cause trouble but Maddie's friend that she was with that was planning to spend the night there with her. They were going to camp out in the tent together. She had her name was Jordy and and she, according to her her words specifically, she ended up getting hammered. She says uh, very 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 drunk. And it's been described as Jordy gets into a fight with one of these people. Um, but Jordy's words, uh, she appeared in a documentary about Maddie's disappearance. She said 
I was drunk and ended up falling into the fire, a bonfire. And because of that, I got hurt and I had to leave. So I don't know if falling into the bonfire was a part of the fight or if it was two separate things, but there, there's kind of both described. But they, they can both be true at the same time. Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely. Uh, yeah. But whatever it is, so the whatever leads to it, around midnight, this happens with Jordy, and Jordy decides, like, you know what? I'm too drunk. I'm hurt. I'm not going to spend the night. I got to get out of here. Jordy was also with a boyfriend, a guy she had just started a relationship with. Jordy and this boyfriend are going to go leave the party, go home, not camp out, which makes sense if it's if the mood of the party is kind of getting weird. Um, Jordy doesn't just take off, though. She does go to Maddie and says, let's get out of here. Like, I'm done. I, I'm drunk. I'm hurt. I got to go. Come on with us. And this part of the story is one of the main things that kind of troubles me. It surprises me. One of two key moments, I think, that puzzles and confuses me. Maddie, despite showing up with her friend Jordy, with the plan to spend the night with, with her, when Jordy says she's leaving, Maddie just says, like, I'm all set up here. My, you know, my, my, I'm in my tent. You know, I'm, I can sleep here. My sleeping bag's out. I'm going to stay. And she decides to stay behind alone in the tent. So that, that, as a, like, I don't know. Does that make sense to you? You've been. Absolutely. 20, it does make sense to you? Totally, because I was that girl. Okay. And there's, we have to, like, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And everyone parties differently. Everyone's a little bit different. Like, I know that, and this would have happened right around my party phase. There was nothing more of a nightmare than going out with a friend who didn't leave you alone. Like, but maybe that's just that's just the way I am. Like I've gone to parties by myself before. Really? Okay. If no one else wants to go, I'll just I'll go. Why not? Right? If my friends want to leave and I'm having fun, leave me here. I'll stay. Mm -hmm. Um, it's yeah, I don't think to me that's absolutely and especially like Maddie was planning on staying. Yeah. If she... I, you know, if I was set up, I'd be like, Yeah, I'm you know, there's other people here, I'm having a having a fine time. It sounds like she was fairly independent. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, but, that's but that's just me. But at the same time, with when you hear that night described in Maddie's behavior, she was spending most of the time, like her time, like in the tent, kind of keeping to herself. It seems, and she, what Maddie herself, wasn't drinking heavily. She just had like a couple drinks, a couple glasses of wine. So she wasn't like. I, I feel like when I when I hear about Maddie's night, I feel like she was there more like camping out as and others were partying that's how it seems described to me and that's why i'm kind of surprised that she's like no i'm gonna stay here but here's the other thing too is we did say 50 people were there by the time jordy was leaving and by the time jordy left the, the crowd was already starting to dwindle and there was just a small group of people left when jordy and her boyfriend left leaving maddie it's just as a 20 year old woman it's it seems odd to me that she would be like, I'm going to camp alone here with just, you know, a, a handful of other people that I'm not as close to as you. I don't, I don't, that surprises me. But what surprises me more? So Jordy and her boyfriend leave. They're gone. And again, this, I'm going to use the days of the week. This is Friday night, late, late Friday night into early Saturday morning is when Jordy and her boyfriend leave. Um, and then, 
Maddie's left there in the tent. Only a, maybe two hours later, an hour later, it's, we're at about 3 a.m. on early Saturday morning. The last people that were behind at the party are leaving. And they, it's like one last group of people, say five people. They approach Maddie in her tent and say, like, we're leaving. We're the last people here other than you. Do you want to come with us? And Maddie again says no. They assume she's staying alone without anybody else by this lake in her tent. That part puzzles me. I, I can't picture, I can't, uh, no matter how I play it through my head, I'm, I can never imagine a situation where I say, yeah, forget it. I'm going to stay here alone without anybody else in the dark she brought her dirt dirt bike equipment she brought like maybe she had plans for the next day she mm -hmm. wanted to get up go for a hike whatever do whatever she wanted to do M like maybe i don't know i'm speculating but that would be a good reason also to stay yeah i could see that and she did um she wasn't entirely like connected to the and married to the having to stay there because they did get there like Jordy and Maddie got there in Maddie's truck so Maddie's truck was on the site parked her tent was very close to it um so yeah she could have I guess if, if things got weird overnight she could have gotten her truck and got out of there or the next morning drove home or um, she's she maybe she didn't want to leave all of her belongings because she had been drinking so she couldn't drive home herself oh, that's that's correct so yeah. why would she want to leave all of her stuff there yeah. and go home just to come back the next day yeah and like you said she had like kind of like equipment related to dirt biking she had what's described as an expensive camera i don't know how mm -hmm. expensive but there was a camera in her in her truck and she had her you know a nice tent and camping equipment there so yeah i i could see that um regardless maddie stays uh at the campsite the last one there alone camping um up until now up until this point she's been in touch with her mom like with a few texts and whatnot through the night but the last people to see her were these people who checked on who checked on her before they left this is at 3 a.m that these this last group leaves and checks on her uh whatever happens to maddie happens between 3 a.m and 8 30 a.m on that early saturday morning so again friday night was the party early saturday morning is when jordy leaves then that last group leaves and checks on maddie at 3 a.m she's last seen saying i'm gonna stay here in my tent i'm all good see you later everybody at some point between 3 a.m in 8.30 a.m. Saturday morning, she leaves. She is no longer in that area. We know that because at 8.30 a.m. that Saturday, like I guess probably like, you know, eight or nine hours after Jordy left, Jordy returns to Hogsback Lake, both to check on Maddie as well as to collect the stuff she left behind. Again, Jordy was drunk the night before got in the fight or whatever happened leading to her falling into the fire she left with her boyfriend but she comes back 8 30 a.m that saturday to collect her stuff can you tell us that what what she finds when she arrives so she finds maddie's tent open unzipped mm -hmm. and then when she gets into the tent all of maddie's stuff and her stuff i'm assuming has been pushed to the side of the tent Jordy didn't think anything of this. She collects her stuff and she goes, mm -hmm. which this is another part where red flags have been raised to people. Um, 
again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe she got up to go pee. Maybe she got up early to go for a hike. Oh, for a, yeah, I, I don't who, think I would. I, I don't think I would have been too worried about that. It'd be different, you know. You show up, you see blood or something. I, that makes sense. But right. if I showed up and the tent was open, I just wanted to grab my stuff. I yeah, I would assume she went you know, for a walk. Probably has a coffee in her hand or something. And you know, I I think I would text and call though, like trying to reach her. You'd think. At That's, least. I, th- I think I would as well try and at least mm-hmm. touch base Yeah, or and be like, hey, I was just there. I grabbed my stuff or it, whatever. Yeah. And we don't need to make any secret about it. There's a lot of, if you read about this case online and the various groups discussing it, a lot of people have some harsh questions and heavy questions uh, for Jordy. And uh, there's a few reasons why. And one is her behavior over that over this day primarily but we'll we'll get to a few things but Jordy shows up at 8:30 gets her stuff doesn't find Maddie and leaves the next person who shows up on the scene just about 2 hours later at 10:30 a.m. Garrett who is the guy whose birthday it was and he's the one who every year has this birthday party a part of that he shows up the next day and he cleans up. So he's like a responsible user of this park. So he'll arrange the party for his birthday. In this case, it was Friday night. Saturday morning, he shows up. He collects any beer bottles left behind. Just make sure, just make sure everything is just the way it was before the crowd showed up, which is sounds like a good guy. Well, when you're camping, what, what do they say? You leave it better than how, how you came or something like that? Something you like that. You leave the site better than how you showed up. That's I tell my kids that about the living room. They don't listen. <laughs> um, but when Garrett shows up, two hours after Jordy was there, he sees Maddie's tent, except now it's zipped up. So I'm assuming Jordy takes her stuff and zips up the tent, which makes sense because you wouldn't want bugs and stuff in your tent. So That's I think, my way of thinking too. I'm, I'm thinking Jordy probably just zipped it up before she left because Jordy found it open Garrett shows up, he finds it zipped up, which leads him to assume Maddie's inside sleeping. Which, which I think also is in a stretch. Yeah. Yeah, re- reasonable. So he he does his little cleanup, whatever he does, assumes that she's in that tent sleeping. And then he leaves at 1030. Little after 1030. As far as we know, throughout the day on Saturday, yeah, there was no other people there, no key develop, no significant developments at the actual Hogsback Lake site. So Maddie's tent and vehicle, I should, we should be clear, her vehicle was still parked there throughout this. Throughout the day, it remains. Saturday night, again, this is a popular spot. Saturday night, there's another party. This one, unrelated to the one the night prior, much bigger instead of 50 people maybe 150 people show up to hogsback lake and have a party which includes camping and everything else exactly where the night before maddie and her crew were as this party happens maddie's tent is just still like in the center of the party which is very uh, it's just weird but i guess nobody would I, i was trying to play this through in my head nobody probably would be like oh weird that that's that that's there you would just i guess go on with your night is kind of how i see it i, I don't no know no one would think out. it doesn't look out of the ordinary it's a campground yeah and then once there's a crowd of people 
there's a vehicle and no one's really paying attention to this parked Maddie's parked vehicle or tent. They would just, everyone's probably assuming it's somebody else's and they're right. going out tonight, but there's one kind of odd part of that. One of the people at the party was Maddie's sister. That's a, yeah, that's a coincidence. It's a weird one though, right? Like, it's, but like 150 people, that's a big shaker. Maybe she could have not even waltzed through Maddie's campsite. Yeah, or put it together. You know? or, or, or yeah. Just, I guess if you're at a party with 150 people, you could go throughout the whole night without running into everybody too. So she was probably Absolutely. just doing, doing her own thing. But the party happened Saturday night where Maddie's sister was there. Some point throughout the night, the, the tent remains the whole night, Maddie's tent. At some point throughout the night, the tent is collapsed. Which I guess if you have a tent in the center of a party of 150 people, it's no no surprise that someone knocks the tent over or falls into falls it. Falls into it, yeah. Whatever the case. <laughs> but at some point throughout the night, the tent is collapsed. The party goes on. The next morning, though, is where is where things start happening. So Sunday morning, again, Maddie was last seen in the early hours of Saturday with that last group at 3 a.m. checking in on asking if she wanted to leave. She didn't come Sunday. Maddie's mom is starting to think like, that's weird that we haven't heard from Maddie. I was texting her Friday night when she was at the party. I haven't heard from her all day Saturday. Maddie's mom has sent had sent some texts and tried to call Maddie, but it seems like Maddie's phone is either off or dead throughout the day Saturday, which doesn't immediately make Maddie's mom Don panic or anything. She's Maddie's out in a kind of a wilderness area, which would have spotty reception and not a lot of opportunities to charge your cell phone battery. Again, Maddie is an independent kind of outdoorsy person. So I, I could see her mom and she's 20. I could see her mom giving her the day of Saturday without, you know, worrying too much. But come Sunday, she's thinking like, huh, weird. I haven't heard from her. I should check with Jordy's mom and see if Jordy's mom heard from the girls. Because again, up until now, Maddie's mom assumes Maddie is still with Jordy camping at Hogsback Lake. She calls Jordy's mom, and this is where things start to obviously start uh, start to raise an eyebrow. What happens when she calls Jordy's mom? Jordy's mom tells her that not only did she come home like the night before but she's at work and ever like ever, she's been home for the last two nights now yeah or i guess in the city yeah so it's jordy's mom was surprised i th was probably surprised to get this call and it's like whoa like jordy's she's been home since like yesterday morning she's at work now so you know i don't i don't yeah. know where she is uh i think with that news Maddie's parents become concerned. Maddie's mom gets Maddie's daughter or Maddie's father who's at work and says, we got to get the hogs back like and just see what's going on. I can't reach Maddie. I assume she's with her friend. Her friend's been home for days, day and a bit. We got to get down there and see what's going on. This is Sunday morning. Maddie's mom and dad go to the scene. Just as you would expect the tent which had been collapsed that Saturday night during the party. Maddie's mom finds the tent collapsed with all Maddie's stuff still inside. Maddie's truck is right there parked and locked. All of her stuff inside, expensive camera, you know, her motorcycle equipment, all this various stuff. 
untouched. The only things missing are Maddie herself, her keys, and her cell phone. Aside from that, everything is there. Maddie's mom, I think, I would feel the same way. Something's wrong when this happens. Absolutely. And well, it's just the keys are really what uh, baffle me. Like, I guess if she left her site on her own accord, I guess she wouldn't want to leave the keys to her vehicle there. Now that I'm thinking of it, but like, but she's, would she just carry them in her pocket? Why would she, why would she bring her keys? That that part didn't surprise me. If I was, if I left, it would, I would, if I'm at a party or something and I have my cars parked there, I'm in a tent and for some reason I'm going to leave. Yeah, the two things that I would have in my pocket would be my cell phone and my keys. If I was getting in someone else's car, I wouldn't want to leave my keys behind in a tent at a yeah, party. I I'd have my right. I'd have my phone and my keys and like if you know if there was cash or something there, I'd have that probably in my you know, you know what I mean by the fifth pocket in your jeans, like that little pocket. Yeah. That's in the pocket. That's where I keep my cash. I'd probably have cash in that and I'd be out of there. Um but things like, you know, an expensive camera that she had there, I, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have brought that to begin with. But all of this is enough for Maddie's mom to say, we got to call the RCMP and, you know, something's not right here. I have a, a good portion of that 911 call. So when, when Maddie's mom, it's Sunday morning around noon that she actually calls uh, 911 to report Maddie is missing. Here's how that call goes. Hi, Santi. Hi, um, I'm calling uh, my daughter's 20. We're at Hogs back, and I haven't heard from her since Friday night. And we just came out, and our pickup is here in the vehicle, and people haven't seen her at all. Okay, what's her name? Madison Scott. And what's her date of birth? April 29th, 91. So she was last heard from on Friday? Friday night, yes. Okay. All of her stuff's here, but yeah. Okay, I don't where, know. Does she, where does she live? With you? She, yes, with us in Vanderhoof. Does she have a vehicle with her? The vehicle is here, yes. Out of, we are out at Hogsback. I talked to her Friday night, and then we just haven't heard from her yesterday, and her cell phone has been so dead. The, and been, the truck has been there all the time? The truck, yes, it has been. We're okay. at the truck and the tent right now. And no answer on her cell? No answer. It's been dead, it seems, since yesterday can hear how worried she is. Uh, yeah. And I, I imagine they, well, and they thought that they would drive up to the campsite and see her there. And then, you know, just be like, what, you know, what are you doing? Why aren't you, why aren't you answering our calls? And then I'm sure even at the time of this phone call, her mom's thinking she's going to walk here any moment. She's going to walk from a trail or something, mm-hmm. but ugh. I think seeing the tent knocked down would freak me out a little bit, but there was, according to Maddie's mom, there was no sign of like obvious sign of a struggle. It just looked like it was knocked over. It's not like things were all like thrown thrown about and stuff. It seems to me that Maddie left the tent or, or, or got out of the tent without any major struggle. The tent stayed as it was until the next morning jordy probably closed it by zipping by zipping it up or whatever because maddie's it was left open when um on fr- um when 
when Jordy arrived, it was open. Jordy probably shut it throughout the party on Saturday night. Somehow the thing gets flattened. Someone probably, some idiot probably just like fell on it or pushed it over or something, an empty tent at a party. Um, but other than that, no obvious signs of a problem or a struggle. And hence, and the report ma is made of a missing person. And that's really when the search begins 12 years ago. And when I say the search, this is known as one of, if I don't know about Canada's, but at least one of British Columbia's most intense, all-encompassing, far-reaching searches for a missing person. Yeah, the most investigative tools in British Columbia history is what I read. The most the most investigative tools used. Yeah, it's and to get a sense of the scope, the party that Maddie was last at, there was about 50 people there. Every one of them was polygraphed and, and interviewed by RCMP. And then the next night, there was 150 people at the party, all of which were interviewed and polygraphed by the RCMP. That I was so surprised when I heard that. Like, yeah. it's great, but yeah, that's uh, that's some investigative work right Heck there. Yeah. Well, when you, you some of these cases, like um, we talked earlier about the Emma Filipov disappearance. I I'm just going off the top of my head, but I think there was like six or seven people polygraphed in that case, and that was like, oh wow, like they're really looking at people to right. do like almost two hundred of them, and now. That said, polygraphs aren't admissible as evidence in Canada. So even if you fail a polygraph, it's not like, you know, oh, you're guilty and they throw away the key kind of thing. But they do use it as a tool in an investigation. Um, police have said that everybody at the parties, both parties were cooperative. Everybody's uh, polygraphs came back as you would expect that, you know, quote unquote, passed the polygraphs. And the RCMP has even said that they don't believe that any of the people involved in the parties were involved in Madison's, Maddie's disappearance. I think that's kind of, that the fact that they would say that is Right. That just adds another layer of like, what? It's, it's just the way this all happened is if none of the 200-ish people involved in both parties are involved what happened mm -hmm. like that's just that's unheard of yeah and then aside from you know when someone disappears next to a lake in a kind of a national park kind of thing like in a nature area of course there's going to be a large search in that area cadaver dogs ground searching on a grid divers in the water i had mentioned that hogsback lake at its deepest is about 22 feet but it's a pretty clear body of water. They've ruled out her being in that body of water. They don't consider that that was a case that that had happened. They searched the entire park on a grid and found no evidence of anything. It, in fact, it led them to the RCMP have even stated they believe she left on uh, in a vehicle and not on foot because there's no evidence of anyone walking out of there. That said, there are a whole bunch of trails, so who knows, but they were confident enough to stay publicly. We believe she left in a vehicle. Well, and she had enough time to gather her phone and her keys. Mm -hmm. So she, to, to me, that tells me she knew she was leaving for a bit, but 
probably had every intention of coming back shortly. Mm. Which leads to the question of what the hell happened to her? Where did she go? Who took her? And I should say, police have said again from very early on, although there's no sign of a struggle on the, on the site, they believe and suspect that there to be foul play involved as opposed to, you know, misadventure. Cause it, it, when I, if, if I had heard someone went, you know, it disappeared while camping, I think, oh, they fell and banged their head or they fell into a body of water or, you know, a bear attack, you know, these sorts of things. Cause that, that happens, but there would be evidence left behind. Like if, like a bear doesn't it, just quietly pull you off without, you no. know. And there would be, it would be very easily found evidence, especially because they had like infrared helicopters and cadaver dogs and, massive search parties on foot and yeah it's just it's not plausible for something like that mm. to have happened getting into the theories the first thing to talk about is the idea that either a friend or someone she knew or somebody at the party associated with her is responsible for whatever happened to maddie so when a young woman goes missing First person to consider, first people to consider would be, I think, would be people romantically involved with her. Maddie at the time didn't have a boyfriend, but there was a few guys she was connected with. There was one person at the party who Maddie had a romantic interest in, but he had told her that the feelings weren't reciprocated. He did not feel the same way. She was a little saddened by that, but not a big deal. We know this part of the story because Maddie actually told her mom about this. Maybe it was just something that made her uncomfortable. It's, it's good that they had that relationship. Mm -hmm. um, there was a guy at the party who had a romantic interest in Maddie. Maddie did not feel the same way about him. And it was said, again, this is coming from Maddie's mom, that he was said to be kind of like publicly and public facing. He seemed to be okay with it, but privately he seemed to be a little pissy kind of not too happy that she wasn't feeling the same way. Um, but this guy has said to be, had been put through the ringer. Those are the, the exact words Maddie's mom used to describe the investigation, the investigators handling of this guy. We can only assume he's been polygraphed because everyone there was according to RCMP. Uh, they don't believe this guy was involved, but it's just, they would have zeroed in on him just on that knowledge alone. Of course. Now, Jordy's, um, Maddie's friend, Jordy. People have questions about her. I don't see there it being. Jordy left Maddie behind, which, you know, as someone who cares about their friends, I question that. I, I can't imagine myself doing that. But then again, Jordy was drunk and injured with a boyfriend at the time with her, I, I can maybe see it, but as I mean, far you as... also can't make someone do something they don't want to do. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. She, she offered and Maddie declined. Yeah. So I know, but... I know that I would be annoyed if my friend was like, no, you have to come with me. I'd be like, you're the one breaking plans here. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, I get that. Um, but as far as if Jordy can be involved, Maddie was seen after Jordy left. Jordy left with another person. She wasn't driving. Jordy would have had to like 
come back to Hogsback Lake without this guy and like got her or something like I, d- I don't think there's any way that Jordy's involved. Well, and yeah, there there would have to be more than her involved just based on the driving alone. That night, um, because it was a party and we didn't want to drive home drunk. That night was actually the first night me and Maddie went camping together. When we pulled up to the lake, um, we like unpacked the tent, but it was too small of a tent and it didn't have the poles. So then we headed back to town and got a bigger tent. And then we headed back out and set up the tent. And then all the girls went out and got some firewood. Um, And then we came back and then there was more people. And we set up our tent and then we started to drink and more people came. And then there was some rowdy people that showed up that were not friends with the people that were there. I got like super drunk, I guess, like, and things started to change. And like more people started to show. And then I fell into the fire and that's why I left. By the time I left, there was around five people left. She like was kind of like, no, like don't leave. Like, and she, but she was already in bed and I was just like, well, like I'm, I can't, like I need to go. Like I'm just super drunk. When I went back to Hogsback in the morning, I found like the tent door open basically. And like, Everything was just around in the tent, like spread it out, like pushed to the side. And like, that was it. I feel horrible that there's no trace of Maddie after two years. And like, I regret everything. I should have stayed, even if I was hurt. If I could go back in time, I would change it all. I would stay there. Maybe I could possibly have helped her. I miss my friend. One other name will come up a lot if you're reading about this case. Uh, I've heard it, the pronunciation, I've heard it Bjorn in Bjorn. His name is Fribjorn Bjornsson. That's how I'd say it. Do you, yeah. Do you want to tell us the story about about him and why his name comes up so often as a connection to Maddie Scott's disappearance? See, and I didn't know about this until mm-hmm. the people of TikTok told me, because and then this... I kind I kind of looked into it a little further. It is nuts. It is a little bit too close for comfort. Um, so this uh, Bjornson, I guess the last name is, was I believe he was twenty eight. Was he was a little bit older. Um, but he was a 28 year old guy that it was said Maddie was dating or had been dating. That's still speculated. Let's just say, um, say romantically linked. Cause that's pretty funny. sure. Yes. Romantically involved. Um, so yeah, it said that they had had a connection at one point 
And then on February 3rd, 2012, this guy's decapitated head was found on a vacant lot in St. Oh, it's, it's escaping my mind right now. Um, Fort St. James. Fort St. James. I was just going to say Fort James and I was like, that's mm -hmm. not right. Yeah. Um, so it said that this guy had a known struggle with cocaine and gang ties to this reserve on Fort St. James mm -hmm. or in Fort St. James. And yeah. So in February of the next year, his decapitated head was found. Yeah, not even on, a year, not even a year later. Right. Um, so just his head was found, his the rest of his body has never been recovered. And this is also a case that like no information, no one's come forward mm -hmm. with any information, no one really knows mm -hmm. what happened and when. But it's just RCMP has said that there is no connection. But it's just a little yeah because 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 we're kind of in a like a rural area it's not it's not like we're talking about a city of a million people or something that no you know this happens to two people but maddie scott's mom has ruled out any connection between him and his death and her disappearance uh, she maddie's mom says that um it's a small area they played on like the same sports team so they did have like a, a connection and it wasn't unusual for them for, you know that everybody in this area was connected because it's such a small space exactly um, but i think what led to a lot of people considering his dis his murder and maddie scott's disappearance is actually we had talked early on about this case getting a lot of media coverage there was an episode of 48 hours like the american tv show Jordy was interviewed on it and uh Jordy's the friend Maddie was supposed to camp with and Jordy had brought up this guy's name and talked about how he was like trouble and kind of bad news and it just seemed like it was brought up in passing but it, during an interview but the way it appears on screen when you watch the 48 hours they, they kind of like lean on like this guy could be a suspect and I could see why when the, you know it's kind of a salacious story and then he was decapitated a year later you know I, I could kind of see that but investigators and Maddie's mom don't believe he's involved it's just a crazy kind of coincidence I guess if he isn't well, and the big one of the biggest speculations I've heard about this was he he's not the one that did it. He had a drug debt, and Maddie is the one that they whatever took. That's the theory. So that's a theory, yeah. But mm. still, it's a I it's a stretch for sure. It, um, aside from all the people, there's also the opportunity for a stranger. Maddie's a young woman in a tent on a lake in the you know outside of the city people can go to that lake that aren't invited to the party they can just show up so it's you know there is some and, and then there was also people who arrived at the party that weren't immediately connected to this social group so there would have been some other kind of people around so it could have just been a a nobody that was connected to the party that that way they wouldn't have been interviewed and polygraphed and stuff but there's not really anybody that comes up as a you know a person of interest what does come up a lot though is the whole um highway of tears um side of the story it, for people who are unfamiliar you can probably describe it better than me but the highway of tears is the name for 
a stretch of highway that is statistically disproportionate amount of missing and murdered indigenous women. And when I say statistically disproportionate, I mean like by a long shot to the point that they named this place, this area, the stretch of road, the highway of tears. And, and Hogs for like decades, it's yeah, and been, there's signs that say like women don't hitchhike. It's, it's bizarre over there. Mm -hmm. Well, it's because it's because service is so spotty and travel um, like transportation isn't, isn't very accessible there. So mm -hmm. lots of women from surrounding reserves hitchhike mm -hmm. and many go missing. Yeah. And it's, um, this, I found this interesting. I was one of the things that I watched in prepare and preparation for this is, uh, John Lorden, uh, who's been on this show on nighttime before he has a YouTube series called brain scratch, which looks at unsolved murders and missing persons cases. He did a series about Maddie and he had spoke to Maddie's mom for it. And, um, she had talked about going to lengths to, uh, to prevent people from linking Maddie's disappearance with the highway of tears cases. Um, and, and the main reason for that is like, I think when, it, when a case is linked to the highway of tears, there's a certain kind of criteria uh, that beyond just the actual geographic area. It, right. looks, it looks at things like, um, you know, the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls crisis and, you know, what uh, circumstances that lead to uh, allowing that to happen in Canada. And aside from the, the only thing that would connect Maddie's disappearance to all of those cases that form the Highway of Tears cases is just the geographic area, but not all of the other um, criteria, I guess is. How I would put that's it. yeah it's only in close proximity to it so 12 years passes maddie disappears in 2011 there is no significant leads no discoveries there has been an incredible amount of discussion and discourse awareness billboards news coverage i, I think every year on the anniversary there will be articles and coverage on CBC and across the country without any updates. Maddie was last seen on May 28th, 2011. On May 28th, 2022, the RCMP even released like kind of like a 12 year, like awareness kind of thing, like a video just describing the case, pleading for more information. They released that video and then only hours later, they announce a major, major development that certainly changes this case and blows it wide open. I'll play a news clip that explains the update, and then we'll talk about it. It's a missing persons case that has been hanging over northern BC for more than a decade. Madison Scott was last seen in May 2011, yet her face is still seen on billboards plastered around Vanderhoof, a constant reminder of a mystery left unsolved. The investigation drew international attention, even featured on the CBS show 48 Hours. And now, 12 years later, a major development in the case. We have uh, discovered Madison, have confirmed through BC Coroner Service that it is her. Mounties have executed a search warrant sweeping a rural property on the east side of Vanderhoof. They wouldn't give specifics about what led investigators here, only saying this location is connected with the discovery of Maddie's remains. 
Many support services have been called to assist during this investigation, and they could be on scene at this piece of property for, for many days or as long as it takes. RCMP say Maddie's family has been notified. They're asking for privacy right now. The investigation remains active and open, and foul play has not been ruled out. The community, in the meantime, is left to grieve. Shocking. When you, when you hear... So many questions. Oh, but when you hear of a major missing persons case and ending for better or worse it's just shocking when it's years later and in in all my time in podcasting i've covered a lot of missing persons cases i've only dealt with a few where which had this kind of a conclusion and they had been ones where people had been missing just for like a year eight months to go 12 years and then a discovery be made it's 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 just unimaginable what this family must be going through right now. And again, it's only unanswered questions. They have Maddie's remains, so they, they know that, that she's not alive and she's not going to be found alive. But other than that, you don't, it doesn't tell you anything. No. Well, it's and I was like, well, okay, so how did they find these remains? Were they just stumbled upon? Um, but I think because they released that video or press conference or whatever it was on the Saturday, I think somebody called it in. I think somebody tipped somebody else off What? because what a coincidence. Yeah. What a coincidence. So they release like their, you know, their press release pleading for information the next day, which is 12 years to the day, the anniversary of the day she was reported missing 12 years to the day they discover her remains. Police haven't said where they were or what led to them finding them. They just confirmed that it was Maddie's body. Um, and they've also confirmed that as a result of this discovery, they have a search warrant to search a property that's on the east side of Vanderhoof, which is a, a ways away from Hogsback Lake. They haven't said why they're searching this property. All they have said is that it's connected to the discovery of her remains. So maybe it's where they found her. I was just going to say, so I was under the impression that's where they found her. They have, but if nothing's been confirmed, I they, can't make that. They're being clever assumption. with their words. They say it's connected to the, to the, what they have said is it's connected to the discovery of her remains. So that could mean it's where they found her. It could mean we found her on, you know, the, the, the cottage of the guy who lives at this house, you know, Right. It yeah. Just, it's in some way it's connected to her. They haven't said where or how or what led them to, but I think it's pretty obvious that it had to either be a tip came in on the 12th anniversary of the day she was reported missing, or this whole time there had been some investigation going on behind the scenes that Maddie's family, at least publicly, were unaware of. And it just so happens that the discovery is made on this kind of like significant anniversary. I guess it's I mean, a stranger things. Yeah. It's a one in 365 chance that you're going to, that it's going to happen. It just seems like hours. They, they have said it was hours after that video was released pleading for information. Yeah. Um, someone, someone has a guilty conscience and called something in, I think, but this, this property they're searching mm -hmm. is like, it's, it's the east side of Vanderhoof. 
but that's only it's only about an hour away from where Matt from Hogsback Lake. Yeah. So, you know, how long was she there? Was this an area that was originally searched? Because the, the search was massive. Yeah, but I don't think it would have gone this far past Vanderhoof. Like, like actually, a foot search at this point, I don't think would have would have happened. Um, That's true at that distance. But I think it just backs up their theory. They they believe that Maddie left Hogsback Lake by vehicle. This mm -hmm. is this distance isn't something she would have walked. So it no, seems no, no. like she ends up where yeah. I guess it's probably best to talk about this place as if that's where her body was found because it, I guess that would make sense. But well, let me think, think about this in order to search and find her body, they would have needed a search warrant then. So that's if she true. was found at this site, they would have already had a search warrant. Oh, I guess we, there's probably other ways you, they could have found her without the search warrant though. Uh, who, who knows? Like without knowing yeah. what led to it, but I think, somehow she she got in it's yeah it's it's hard to say because we don't know but i just try to i wonder how she could have ended up somewhere else that night in leaving by car either being forced into a car or maybe there was someone she knew that she had planned to meet up with like she was on dating sites and stuff right so there would have been conversations she was having with people that she wasn't telling her mom and Jordy about even possibly. So I, I played it through in my mind and I'm thinking like, could it be that the reason she didn't want to leave the campsite is because she was hoping to meet someone else there, like throughout the night, someone was planning to meet her, oh, and, you know, like that could make could sense. And they looked at her phone records. What can what kind of, discounts that a bit though is her phone records were examined she only had one incoming call that night it was before midnight and they know the person that called he had been investigated and he had been ruled out it's like a friend of hers that someone that maddie's parents knew even um so there was no like evidence on well, the phone but then again there's a million ways to chat with people that it doesn't show yeah up with no yeah she could have been using whatsapp or I was thinking even, you know, what if she got into a car with a woman? Maybe she, whatever, wanted to, I don't know, go get food or something. I don't know. But yeah. yeah, what if she was approached by a woman and trusted her and got in? We hopefully will find out, but we may mm. never know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think we're going to know. I think if if it's at the point that they found her body, they didn't just stumble upon it. Someone's talking. No. And oh yeah i guess hey yeah it'd be different yeah. if it was just like we were searching as we always do and we just found her you know that's i would say we never know if it gets to the point where like we're we got search warrants we have her body it's like someone's telling them something and it's you know and and when, when something happens if, if more than one person knows you know if like if person a did something horrible and person b knows about it person b may not talk because they're married to person a but over the course of 12 years Even that then, marriage could break down and well you know what they say three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead hmm. so yeah it's true and, yeah and and 
uh, at this point, that's what I'm thinking has happened. I'm thinking the two, more than one person knew what happened. And over the course of these 12 years, relationships changed to the point that someone's like, you know what? I'm not keeping this person's horrible secret. You know, the things in the news, uh, you know, it's the 12th anniversary of Maddie Scott's disappearance. Call Crime Stoppers. Maybe they're like, you know, F this. I'm calling Crime Stoppers. I think I, I know where she is. Well, and I'm I'm curious to, I hope that they can, A, figure out a cause of death. And I know that they can determine, um, like, how long she has been there or been deceased. When, when they determine, like, date and how long someone's dead, I don't know if they can go to the day. I think it's, like, in my oh, mind. Oh, no. Yeah, in my mind, I think whatever happened to Maddie happened within a couple hours of like between 3 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. when Jordy showed up back at the Statistically, you're I think absolutely it, right. I think it all happened there. And I think it was someone that she knew and she got into that vehicle willingly. That's that's how I see this happening. But I think, I, I think detectives know at this point what happened. And it's just a matter of them proving it. And that's we'll, the only logical explanation. Yeah, she so. wouldn't have gotten into a car with a stranger. Like, yeah it's it's sad but i yeah i I wonder what actually happened i i would love to know like if we if we knew what led to the discovery i think we would know well you know what's going if somebody was let's just say it was an anonymous call to like crime stoppers or something and they were able to tell where maddie's body was they certainly also mentioned what how they knew that and who did it and you know i i think they know uh, I don't. Yeah, they they ensure your uh, anonymity. Is that the word I'm looking for? Like I when you call so. Crime Stoppers, they're like, "Oh yeah, you can remain anonymous." But I wonder if they can trace the call. And they're uh, like, like oh, "Just I've, kidding. We know who you are." No, I've been through it with. Um, I did a, the series of episodes I did about uh, Lindsay Savonaroff, the woman who tried to plan the shooting at the mall in Halifax. Uh, a crime stoppers a call was made to crime stoppers uh informing authorities that she was planning to do this and it's never been discovered who made that call to crime oh. stoppers and okay. it's um oh yeah and it's it's they will keep a secret Interesting. crime stoppers yeah so i think okay. and of course we don't know if it was a call to crime stoppers that led to maddie's discovery they haven't said how or right. where or or anything about it other than they confirmed that her remains were discovered but i don't know i'm i'm going out on a limb and saying somebody came forward it had to be yeah someone someone couldn't take it anymore or yeah relationships change mm-hmm. and they said it's time and i think it's only a matter of time before you see cuz this was just recently that you that her remains were discovered i think very soon we're going to see an article arrest made in connection to the death and disappearance of matt of maddie scott i sure hope so because like you said before this isn't a big city of a, of a million people even the city and surrounding areas there's only so few people that could be involved mm-hmm. so and i i think for a lot of people who have a missing loved one this must give a lot of hope, you know, 12, like, because I'm sure people don't want to hear that their loved one is found deceased, but at least to have like the case be, to have the question be answered. So if, if you've had a missing loved one for 10 years 
And then you see this in the news. I'm sure you think like, you know, we could get answers someday. This gives hope. I've seen, I have a lot of different like groups I'm in in Facebook that are dedicated to different missing persons cases um, and unsolved murders and whatnot. And it seems like all of them have shared the story. Like, see, it can happen. Yeah. Oh, it definitely gives people a, a glimmer of hope and kind of restores your faith in that people may actually do the right thing and come forward. Or at least, you know, if they know something, they'll tell someone eventually. But 12 years, that's a long time, man. I want to thank you for joining Madeline and I for this episode of Nighttime. I'm going to start wrapping up things here, but before we part, let me end with some thanks. First, a big thanks to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode, and a shout out to LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast, who provides the intro and outro voiceovers. But lastly, and most importantly, a massive thank you goes out to every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. And on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the Nighttime Podcast Premium Feed, KK, Anne, and Joss. Thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it by way of a premium feed subscription, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If anyone listening has any story ideas or wants to give feedback on the show, you can reach us at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. We hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.